Well, children, it's good to have you here with us in the in the service. I always enjoy when you all get to hang around here with us and we enjoy your presence and your smiling faces. We're going to be over in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 22, if you want to turn there, or you can always feel free just to look up on the screen. But we're going to see that there is a striking difference between prophets of God and false prophets. Now, we've gone over a number of different ones and different places in the Word. We'll tell you about some, some of the differences are there, but we're going to see one here, that the distinction is not learned through what is taught in Scripture, but one that you'll clearly see in demonstration. Once you'll see, you'll see that the Word does does uh, uh, teach it. You'll find it in the Word, but it's it's one that you easily miss if you don't see the demonstration of it. Once we see it, there will be some great application in the things that we're going through today. But we've been spending some time looking at the ministry of a prophet. Not just prophecy, but the ministry of a prophet. Why did God put them in this earth? Why are they here? What are they, they here to accomplish for us? And over the, the weeks we've been looking at this, we saw that one of the primary defenses for the body of Christ against evil is the ministry or the office of a prophet. Most of the time a prophet speaks a message, it is about what is going to be, not what to do about it. That is something very distinctive about the prophet. They will tell you what is going to be, not necessarily what to do about it. But a prophet is to hear from God words about what is going to be. He may have a good idea or just an opinion of what we should do to respond to those words. But that's not in the word that he got from God. And prophets will call attention to what you have not seen. And we saw some examples of that, that there were ministers, evangelists, pastors, teachers in a group. And a prophet came and told them something that they did not know. And that was when the prophet came up to Paul and bound him and said that this is what awaits him in Jerusalem. And they all didn't know it. And it took them by surprise. This is the ministry of a prophet. And the prophet will oftentimes call you or your attention to something that you do not know, have not been aware of, and didn't see coming. But that's their role. That's what they're supposed to do. What is difficult for some prophets is to do that and sit down. Very often, prophets then go into commentary. And they try and equate their commentary and their teaching on the same level as the Word of God that they've received. And that can be a little dangerous. You don't want to get into that as a prophet. As a prophet, the best prophets in the Word of God are the ones who received the Word from God, got up, gave the Word, and sat down. And if you go through our series with Ezekiel, you'll see that God even told him a few times, don't say anything but what I say. (laughs) And no prophet learned it better than Ezekiel. If you haven't gone through that series or, or picked up, I'll tell you, there's, there's some things to learn inside that book. He is, uh, he is the best example of a prophet I can give you in the Word of God. Just somebody who would just say what God said and leave it at that. And his life became dominated by it. But a prophet, a prophets are not always sent in. God does not always dispatch a prophet on something that is happening. But when they are deployed, when they're sent in, it is saying that change is coming. If a, if a prophet is deployed with a message, you know change is coming. It can be good change if we respond positively to the word 
from the prophet, it can be a bad change if you respond negatively. But know this, if a prophet is dispatched and a word is given, a change is coming. Whether you like it or not will depend on how you respond. Amos 3 verse 7 says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets or his secret to his servants, the prophets. God will announce these things. We looked at a particular example in Jehoshaphat's life where he went into battle and he put the praisers first. And we saw that that did not come as a result of what the prophecy said to do, but came as a response in faith in what the prophet said. And Jehoshaphat is the one who came out in that chapter and told us, believe his prophets and you shall prosper. He said some other things too, but we've called our attention to that because more so than anything else, if you listen to the words of a prophet, there is prosperity, prosperity, not just money. Don't just think money for that. We're talking about success in whatever it is you do. If you listen to the words of a prophet, their words will lead you to a path of success because that ministry is unique in that it is telling you of things to come. If you know what is coming before it gets here, you can prosper. That's why people want to get time machines. Well, let's go over here to 1 Kings 22. Now, three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to, to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehosh- Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire of the Lord of the word of the Lord today. Now, we gave a homework assignment to certain people that are in the service today. How many people have got, received that homework assignment? All right, there they are. We gave them a homework assignment with the question, is there someone in your life who makes you better? <coughs> is there someone who helps you or leads you to make good decisions? Are there also people in your life that lead you to bad decisions? Or maybe people you know. <laughs> Not you, but maybe people that you know. You say, boy, when they get around them, they do bad things. They go to bad decisions. And so for you folks who did the homework, who, and who uh, had that, how many folks came up with some people in your life right now that are beneficial, that are good for you? Raise your hand. How many want to tell us about them? I need the other microphone too. I forgot to uh, say that. I meant to mention that to Keith. Forgot to. But he'll get that ready for us. Who has one they want to share? Uh, you see, you're not the right age. <laughs> we might, we might. If they don't do a good job, we might have to go to the adults. We got one right back over here. Just not raising her hand. Go ahead. Who you got? Who's in your life that that makes you better? Um. Praise. Praise, y'all. Oh, okay, that's a good one. I can see where praise will make you better. That's nice to hear. Anybody else have somebody? Somebody in your life that makes you better? I have, I know some friends in college that don't make the best of decisions, so they're not really that beneficial. <laughs> okay, so we got some people on the other so, side. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. It's good that we can identify them. So this is the important thing. we got to be able to identify these people, who they are. Who else has one? Good or bad side? Either one, or you can do both. 
um, my children's church team. Oh, there's a whole group of people right there. Okay, we can we can go with that. Who else has got one? Oh, we got we got one up here too. Who else has one? Um, my children's church leaders. What was it? My children's church leaders. The leaders, okay. I like that. Yeah. Who else we got? Chenzo. I feel like Phil. Otani. All right, we're getting names. Can you say it loud? We're getting. That Otani will kill and that Satan is bad. Satan is bad. Let's get him out of your life. Oh, he got. All right, who else has got one? Are you pointing to somebody up over here? You're not pointing to anybody in particular, are you? Nobody, nobody, just, just somebody up in this general vicinity, right around. Here. Okay, I got it. There's someone in this general vicinity that apparently has a. Oh, you don't tell me. We haven't, most people don't give any names. Okay. Um, well, I have friends online. Well, some I actually oh, don't sure know. You their put name. it as a praise report. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I then was I thinking have, I may have somebody just put it in there early. That was a good one. I like that. And then I have my school friends. And you have some school friends? Good school friends? All right, good. Would you give an award to all the people who Absolutely. who participated? Come around usage. We might have some more rewards yeah. along the way. I was I was given ample supply. Whatever I don't give away, I have to eat. So there's that. All right. Well, let's take a look at this. We got a, a, a man here named Jehoshaphat. I want you to see a few things about him. Uh, now, most of you people that are on this side, I know you know this, but how about the young people? How many know Ahab? Is he a good king or a bad king? How many would say he's a good king? King of Israel, Ahab. Is he a good king or a bad? How many people would say he's a good king? No hands. How many say he's a bad king? All right, we're all in the same same part. That, you know, you remember the Moby Dick? What's the name of the of the captain? Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if that meant anything. <laughs> yeah, he was a he's a bad king, and. Um, He's a bad king for a lot of reasons. He had a really bad wife. He had a foreigner for a wife who was uh, uh, worshipped idols, and she brought a lot of that idol worship in there with her, and he didn't uh, stand against that. And he murdered a guy for a vineyard. There was not a lot of good things about it. Jehoshaphat, we know God likes Jehoshaphat. He's, he's, on, he, he's on good terms with God, and he does good things. But you've got a good king over here associating with a bad king. When you have a good person associating with a bad person, what usually wins? The bad. Isn't that always the, seem to be always the case? You put the good with the bad, and the bad seems to win. The bad people make the good people do bad things, make bad decisions, go in the wrong directions. That's just not the, the way you go, oh, I forgot to do something. Ernest said he had someone. Do you want to say it? Yeah, you said you had somebody. I forgot that you said that. 
obviously outside, I would say outside of my family, I was going to say my church family. There we go. I like it. Church family should be a good influence on us. I like hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> he didn't even do the homework and he's ready. <laughs> didn't even get the homework, I should say. But here we got this guy, Jehoshaphat. Now here's what, here's what you don't get from this, but you see it in the rest of the, the scripture. Jehoshaphat was, was king of the south. Ahab is king of the north. A lot of times there was war between the two and Jehoshaphat was tired of the war. He thought war was bad. So in order to get rid of the war, he decided to have his son marry one of the daughters of Ahab. And so that they formed a union. They had kids. Now, the big problem with that, if you've been around here for a while, we told you this is one of the biggest blunders in the word of God. There is, you'll be hard pressed to find a worse blunder than this one. And it's made by one of the best kings that Israel had. Just because you're righteous, just because you go to church, just because you serve God doesn't mean you cannot make really bad decisions. What he did was he took the Davidic line, David's line, which is eternally blessed and God said you will not lack for one on the throne and joined it with the house of Ahab that God cursed and said you, you and your household will die. So you have, you have Jehoshaphat eternally blessed meeting eternally damned, so to speak. This meeting. What's going to happen when they meet? And we have to get into other chapters to, to see what's, what's all there. But this is what Jehoshaphat did. He put God into a very bad position. What does he do with the descendants of David now? So we can't, we can't get into all that today. Maybe down the road we will get into it again, but we have done it in the past. It's uh, important things to, to see and to learn. But this is one of the things that he did. And there are huge problems for Israel because of that union, but they don't come up just yet. They come up later. And we're not gonna, we have enough to cover here today. And I don't want to be any, any better than I probably am going to be. <laughs> so we want to make sure we get, get done as much as we can. But here, Jehoshaphat, where they have, they make treaties together. They build ships together. They do a lot of joint projects in this and here it is he just decides to go up and visit now how many can how many remember his thinking about right now who's your bad bad people how many can remember your your bad people in your life you don't have to say anything about it how many can remember the bad people in your life right now what happens if you just decide i'm going to go over to their house not them come over to your house no i'm going to go over to their house what is the likelihood that bad things will happen. Jehoshaphat doesn't have Ahab come and visit him. He goes up into the north to visit him. And so they're visiting. And so while they're there, the king says, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Now he's just come off of two victories. It said there's been three years of no war. We read over the, the two victories that he had. We did that last week. And it said there was three years, three years of no war between these kings. And now we come to the third year and the, the king from Syria is not picking a fight. Ahab is going to pick this fight. Now look at this verse four. Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. Does that sound like a commitment? He has committed to his friends and he doesn't know what's going on yet. This is kind of like if you have somebody come up to you and said, hey, if I tell you something, can you keep it a secret? How many have ever heard that? 
Anybody ever come up to you and say, if I tell you something, can you keep it a secret? You know what you should say? I don't know if I'm going to keep it a secret until you tell me. That's what you should say. Don't make a commitment until you know. If you, but a lot of times, what is it we say? Sure. Yeah, because well, I want to know the secret. <laughs> and then they tell you something, and then you're not so sure if you should uh, if you should keep that a secret or not. Because, you know, there are, there are, are, are people... I've I've told you some stories. You know, I've had some people in my life that um, when we get together, we would do less than good things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes we would be found out about and sometimes we would not be found out about. But, um, you know, when I, even in college, I was in college. I had friends that I had one friend in particular. He came up and sought me out because he says, I know you would do it. All the people he could pick, I know you would do it. And so that's one of the times that we went through, going through the, the old burned out house that was right by college. That the next day, somebody heard about our exploits going on through, and they fell through it. Fell through three stories. I don't know how much they banged on the way down down there, but uh, they came out dazed. <laughs> we were, he, me and the buddy who had uh, told him about our story going through it, we were running on by and we saw him out in the porch. We waved at him. Hey! He didn't wave back. <laughs> we talked to him later. He says, I was kind of dazed because I just kind of fell down. He went up to the third floor, and the third floor in this house was burned out. It was gone. There was no roof. There was no floor. There was just steps going up to it. And so um, we stayed off the step. We made a good decision together. We stayed off the step. Now, see, when we're going through, we're, we're testing the floor out, making sure it's going to hold us. And then we go, and we, we covered the entire house. We went through it all. We had, Oh, we had such fun. I remember that day. That day was over 40 years ago. I still remember that day. That's one of the highlights of all the things I've ever done in college. That was one of the highlights. I just, oh, I loved it. I can still picture going through all the rooms. I can see, 40 years, I can still see all the rooms that we went through. All the stuff, the basement, the floor, the fireplace, the everything in there. That's just a wonderful day we had. And we went on through and we checked the whole place out. And uh, But he wouldn't go alone. He said, but you'll go with me. I said, I sure will. And so we went and we did the thing. And it turned out to be a good decision for us because we had fun and we didn't get hurt. But the next day, this guy went on through. He didn't have the same caution. He didn't go through with somebody. He went by himself and got himself into trouble. Now, a couple, I think it was a week or two later, the whole house was torn down. It was gone. They, it was a fire hazard, and hazard of some sort, so it was all gone. But I know what it's like to have people in your life that will inspire you to do different things. Some might be bad and some might just be adventurous. Some might be risky, some might be safe. But it seems like when you get somebody who comes along with you that you'll, you'll end up doing some of those things more than you would by yourself. So he says, will you go with me? So he commits to him. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. Don't commit to something you don't know what it is. Or you don't get God's word on it. So he said also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Now, how many think verse 4 and verse 5 are backwards? <laughs> what you should do is inquire of the Lord. Should we go into the burned out house? And then make the commitment to do it. That's how you should do it. We don't always do it the way we should do it. We sometimes do like Jehoshaphat did and we mix it up. We commit first and then let's ask God. So that's what they did. Now Ahab, he's a, he's an idol worshiper. 
He's rejected God. He, he does a lot of bad things. This Ramoth Gilead is actually placed to the west of, of Jordan. Most of Israel is on the, I'm sorry, is on the, the west side. Most, uh, Ramoth Gilead is on the east side. So it's part of the territory that they had as, that was extra. And um, they want to take it back. Historians tell us that King Omri, which was his father, is the one who lost it. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever hear that they lost it. But history tells us that his, his father, King Omri, is the one who lost the territory to the Syrians. Verse 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Now we've got how many prophets? The king gathered prophets together about how many? 400 men. Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. These are prophets of who? Anybody know? Who does it say? Prophets of? These are prophets of Jehovah. Now, a lot of times we want to read this and we want to say these are false prophets. But, do you remember they had a, a meeting up on the hill? And Elijah was there? And there were prophets of Baal? And there were prophets of prophets of uh, Ashtoreth? 850 prophets total. And after the thing was over, they killed all those prophets. Now, I'll ask you a question. We'll ask for some guesses. How many know, how many want to guess, how many years went on between the time that Elijah was on the mountain and they killed all the prophets until this time right here? How many, how many, anybody want to venture a guess? All right, you got one guess in the back. Oh, we got, hold on, we got another one up here. What we got? 30 years. Wow, I didn't think people would go that high. All right, we got 30 years. It wasn't 30, but it was, it was less than that. Three years. Mr. Brother Les says three years. What you got? 13 years. Anybody other have any other guesses? Oh, we got a guess over here. Five. What you got? Six. I said just one up him. That's, uh, that's all right. The actual time is 13 years. 13 years has transpired from she gets she gets a big one who wants to run that it's just because she's so cute I mean that's uh, we got some more I got some big you were close you were only 10 years off Chenzo was closer than you were <laughs> uh, I got I got more things we can get into here 400 400 profits the prophets of Baal and the prophets of, of uh, Ashtoreth were wiped out. They would have to build from scratch, but they got 13 years to do it. Remember what Elijah said to them? How long will you vassal between two opinions? If God is, is, is God, serve him. And so what did God show them on the mountain? That God was God. So do you think that the people would initially go back to these other prophets? More than likely not. And right now it's hazardous to be one. Because they all died. Now, they are going to be building these up, and there are going to be more, but it says in the Word that they're prophets of Jehovah. 
And it actually uses the word, the very sacred word that they have for that. Now, when Jehoshaphat gets in there, he doesn't say, do we have anyone of Jehovah? I think Elohim is actually the word that's, that's in there. It's oftentimes uh, translated in that way. He actually says, are there not any prophets of Adonai? Now, why does he ask, if these are representative of prophets of the Lord, why does he ask for someone else to bring in? So immediately our thought is that these are obviously idolatrous prophets, except that that is not likely true. More than likely, these are representatives of prophets of Jehovah. Now, how can they be so much against the things that are truly of God? So I gave you a couple of scriptures. I think I put them in your, in your outline for you. In 2 Kings chapter 3, this is just a few chapters ahead, and this is the son of Ahab. It's going to say it right here in verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of the Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So what you're going to see here is that these are, this is right after Ahab is killed, his son comes to the throne. And it says he put away the, the uh, special pillar he made for the, or special altar he made for Baal. Either it was in use or came back into use, but the, the prophet of Baal was not in as good standing even at this point, which is Ahab's death. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. He put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted, persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth. He did not become a Baal worshiper and an Astro worshiper. What he became was devoted to the worship of Jehovah instituted by Jeroboam. The worship of Jehovah instituted by Jeroboam is a false worship. It is worshiping the correct deity, but it is doing it in a way that man made up. It is not doing it the way that God said. You remember Jeroboam when he took the throne? He said, I've got to change some things up. And so he made up his own feast days. He made priests of any tribe, not just the Levites. And he just redid the whole thing. And so they were still worshiping God, but they were doing it in their own way. When we see churches, when we see pastors, when we see ministers leading people in worship to God but are not doing it the way that the Bible laid it out. That is a false worship of a true deity. And they are subject to false things. You've got 400 prophets of Baal. Now let me read this uh, verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, that's Jehoram, the son of Ahab, what have I to do with you? Because they came and they sought after what, to, what should we do? Can you imagine that Jehoshaphat is going to go into war again with one of the kings of the north, kings of Israel? And before he goes, he wants to seek God about it? Read the whole chapter if you want. It's a good chapter. 
What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. He does not say go to your prophets, does he? He says go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother, which seems to indicate that he does not pick up those religions. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, I would not look at you nor see you. Elisha, who is prophet of God, true prophet, he says to the king who is worshiping Jehovah, but worshiping through false means, through means that man made up. He says, I wouldn't even be here if it was just you. Elisha's saying, I wouldn't even show up with the word of God. You may be a worshiper of God. You may go into the temple. Or you may go into the, you make sacrifices. But God says, I, I got nothing to do with you. That's why staying with the word of God is so important. You may worship God, but you cannot do it in your own way, as many people try and attest. You cannot come up with your own doctrine. You cannot come up with your own truth. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. How many people have been spending time going on YouTube, read different places, finding some prophets to listen to? How many of you find them? They're playing instruments. They got instruments going. Like we got to listen to one. He had a guitar going. Another one, he's got a piano going. Another, they got different instruments going. It's not new to them. Here's Elisha. How many know Elisha's a good man of God? He says, start playing some music first. <laughs> it happened with David. It happened with others. It seems that they would get music to going for this particular ministry to happen. And so a lot of times with prophetic ministries, music is tied in. There's a lot of pastors and teachers who have adopted this. And so when they're, when they're preaching, they like the organ. They like different things to go. How many have been in one of those places that have that kind of stuff going on? Now, I'm not telling you that you can't do that. Because you can prophesy with or without musical instruments. But it seems like in the Word, a lot of times, musical instruments are mentioned. But if I'm up, do not play the musical instruments. <laughs> uh, I mean, some of them, they really have it down. they got a communication between the organist and the person preaching. I mean, they, he preaches and the organ plays something. That he preaches some more and the plays. And, they, and folks, some folks get in. I don't. It's just like, will you stop playing? I want to hear what the man of God has to say. That's just me. <laughs> I know other people don't always go that way, but I want to hear what's going on. But anyway, when they had the prophets in, a lot of times musical instruments are involved. And there's, there's apparently nothing wrong with that. This is Elisha. He's a good prophet. No, I don't see that Elijah was ever bothered with that. I think Elijah says, get that. Don't bother me with that stuff right now. That's just how I see Elijah being. I may be wrong. He may have his own own stuff that he does. But um, anyway, we have 400. We have 400 prophets of Baal. 400 prophets. How many messages do the prophets of Baal have in the word of God in this passage? How many messages do the 400 prophets of Baal have? Could be a reward if anybody comes up with the answer. What you got? He got it. There's one message. I hit a home run. Did you see that? Out of the park. Home run. Whew. 
Man, I saw that one. That's all right. I've been looking at them things sitting up over there for a long time. Some, they're sitting somewhere. Was it on the desk over there? That's good. I knew they were somewhere. 400 prophets, one message. How does that happen? Let me ask you this question. If you had a physical condition and you went to 400 doctors, how many answers would you get? <laughs> Probably right around 400, right? Every single one of them doctors would have a different, a different way of, of viewing this. If you went to a person who studied the stars and you asked them a question about certain stars, how many different answers do you think you would get? If you, if you asked 400 people who studied the stars. I don't know if you quite get 400, but you'd get more than one. You'd get a, a multiple numbers of them. You would get a, you'd get several of these that would come about. But we have 400 prophets who all agree. Have you ever heard this phrase used today? Most economists or all economists agree on this. You ever heard that? Have you ever heard that all scientists believe this about the disease or about global warming? Have you ever heard that? Well, we've heard that, haven't we? And that's, that's garbage. Because people don't agree. People have different opinions on things. You get 400 scientists, if they're free to be scientists, they're going to come up with a bunch of different theories. You get 400 doctors, they're going to come up with a bunch of different theories about why that is going on. How many of you ever watched that, that show House? Everybody watch the house? I mean, the really obnoxious uh, guy with the British accent. He apparently doesn't have a British accent. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know that watching the show, but apparently he doesn't have a British accent. But how many know you watch that show? How many different opinions came out about what the person was facing? I mean, many, many times Dr. House would come up with, well, I think it might be this, and then that would change, and that would change. By the way, by the time they get to the end of the show, we've got the right diagnosis, and we've got the person taken care of, and, and so forth. But all kinds of opinions along the way. You've got 400 prophets that all have the same message. What that tells you is their source is the same. If you've got 400 messengers of God who have the same message, what it's telling you is the source is the same. It does not speak to you about the truth of the message. It speaks to you about the source. You've got to figure out whether the source is of God or if the sources of the devil. It's going to be one place or the other. Just because you got 400 a degree does not mean that it is of God. I want you to notice this. Here's, you ready for this key element I told you about? This, I don't know that you can find this taught directly at in Scripture to find a false or a true prophet, but I see it in the Word of God. Whenever you see God send a prophet... When, is, when the prophet comes from God, with God you will have one, maybe two, but it's, it's the, the prophets are few in number, though the places may be many. He may have a prophet in this place, he may have a prophet in this place, and a prophet in this place, and they may all have the same message, but they're in different places. Whenever a prophet in the Word of God who comes from Satan has a message you will find a whole lot of them with the same message and generally ganged up in one spot. 
This is all in the Word of God. You go through the Word of God, you'll find it in a whole lot of different places. Not just here. When you see Elijah up on the mountain and you see 300 prophets of Baal and 400, I'm sorry, 400 prophets of Baal and 350 of Ashtoreth. 800, I'm sorry, 850 total, so it's 400 and 450. 850, 850 prophets. How many messages are recorded that they had towards their God? How do you get that many people to agree? Now, we're not going to be able to take time for doing this, but whenever someone rose up in the children of Israel and they had a conflicting opinion with the prophet Moses, how many people came against Moses? One time 250, one time a few thousand, other times even more than that. How many people does God speak his word to in the wilderness to to confront those multitudes? One. See, God doesn't get redundant. He sends his message to his man or woman on the spot, and that's it. Now, let me take you back to another story we went over. Remember in the book of Acts, we, we were looking at uh, Paul, and when he came to Ephesus, the messenger that came, the prophet that came, and bound him up? Now, we're not going to go there and turn to it and read it all, but you can go back there and read it yourself if you, if you want to, just to remember the thing. How many prophets came with the message that he was going to be bound? How many know? Anybody know? How many? How many? Chenzo. One! Ah! He got it! Oh, man! What do I got? You like Kit Kats, don't you? Alright. Kit Kats is it. One! One prophet came with the message to Paul. What were Paul's words when everybody else got there and they all, they all had the message of, don't go. The evangelists in the group, the pastors in the group, the teachers in the group, the followers in the group, whole bunch of them, they all had the message, don't go. What was God's man saying? You're going to be bound. He didn't say go or not go. He said you're going to be bound. One message from to one man who spoke it out there. Now listen, what did Paul say? Why are you all crying and boo-hooing? I'm prepared to die. All I know is, in every place I go, I hear chains await me. Isn't that what he said? How many will verify that's what he said? We're not reading it. How many will verify that's what he said? Every place I go... What you're looking at is multiple places with a single person bringing a single message. When one is false, when a message is false, you have a singular message given to multitudes of people in a single place. You will see this theme all over. I will tell you this. If you see one message come through many mouths in one particular place, more than likely that is false. You don't have to go any further. Because why does God need to give the same message to a bunch of people in a prophetic way? He may give the same message to a teacher here and a teacher there. and that may, That's different. We're talking prophets. This is a different ministry. In the ministry of a prophet, you want to tell somebody who's right, look at the ones that are standing by themselves. 
the pride of Satan's messengers gets in the way and they want to be well known as well as the message. The messengers of God are not supposed to have a pride problem. There's a verse of scripture I want to read for you. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Write it down. It's not going to come up on the screen. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him, let the first keep silent. What is God trying to, what is Paul trying to say here? Limit the number of people talking. You can confirm that God, God gave that message, but that's it. When you see an abundance of people proclaiming this is the word from God, more than likely, I would, well, I would question it. Verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an offer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Kenana, sorry, and had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so. All what? All the prophets. So what happened? He gets a word. And all the prophets say, Yep, that's so. And they begin to prophesy in the same way. Is that following what Paul said to do? And all the prophets prophesied. They didn't, they didn't agree with it. They didn't say, Yeah, that's true. They did what? They prophesied in the same manner of what he did. It's the same same word. So all prophets prophesied, saying, Go out to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. And put it in quotes. This is what they're all saying. They're all saying the same thing. When you got a whole mess of prophets saying the same stuff, I'd call it into question. Now, you may have multiple prophets, like Paul did, saying the same message, but they're in different areas. God gave the message over here. 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 But we're not looking for one church, one big meeting, and 400 prophets get up and say, Thus says the Lord, the world shall end in five years. Now, Ahab cannot discern between what is false and what is true. When we cannot discern between what is false and what is true, we bring calamity on ourselves. And we don't do what's necessary for growth. Now, Micaiah has a history of saying what God tells him to say, no matter the cost or the risk. He's already got a history with Ahab. Ahab's got a history with a lot of prophets. He's got a history with Elijah. We saw three prophets last week that he had a history with. And one of them he recognized when he took off the bandage. Then we got this one, Micaiah. So apparently a lot of prophets have been coming. And I don't know about you, how many of you have ever asked the question, why didn't Elijah bring this word? Why didn't Elijah bring this word? More than likely, this is probably the reason. Elijah is not a prophet you go to consult. He's a prophet of assignment. God tells him, go tell this one this. And then he goes and he tells them. And if God doesn't give him a message, he don't go. 
but Micaiah is one that you can call upon. And apparently he's been called upon before. And when he's been called upon, the word wasn't good. And so they have it. You can't tell this now, but you're going to be able to tell this in a little bit. Micaiah is locked up. You ever wonder why, how they were able to get him so quick? It's because he's on the premises and he's locked up. He said too much that bothered the king. And so the best thing to do with a prophet that you can't control, you can't keep his tongue under control, put him in prison. Keep him away from everybody. That's what they did. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. So on the way, we're trying to give pressure. Have you ever seen this happen today? That people who have a contrary message to the message that the masses are hearing are encouraged, pressured, or in somehow pushed to the, to the place of having the same message. This is not born of science. This is born of the devil. And it was alive in the Old Testament and it's not just alive here. This is just one place you will see it. That kind of pressure is born of the devil. God does not pressure people to speak in line with what he said. He encourages it, but he never pressures it. Pressures it. He says, here's my word. Speak in line with that. If you don't, you bring that punishment upon yourself. Let's go on. We're not going to get through, through this. Then the messenger who had... Uh, we already called that verse 15. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? Same question. And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now that's not true. He's trying to show off for Jehoshaphat. I've had to keep this prophet under, under control. I've had to tell him to, to say the, the right things. But he must have said this in a very sarcastic way. You kids probably have no idea about this, right? You have probably never spoken to your parents in such a way as being sarcastic that you got yourself in trouble even though you said the right thing, right? How many people can concur you have never gotten in trouble because you said the right thing the wrong way? <laughs> oh, oh, Ethan, they're saying no. <laughs> they're saying no, that's not true. <laughs> we can say the right words and say it in the wrong way and mom and dad know. <clears throat> and this, is what, this is what Ahab, he says, I know you don't mean what you just said. I know it. An example could be, mom says, did you clean your room? And we may say, of course I cleaned my room, mom. What does mom know? Man, you just lied. <laughs> you just lied. <laughs> because if you really did it, you'd be saying, I cleaned my room? Man, that's spick and span. It is clean from top to bottom. You'd be enthusiastic. We would have it with no more feeling. We wouldn't just say, I cleaned my room, mom. Will you leave me alone? You can tell these things. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains. I want you to pay attention to this because you remember the words of the prophet? They go and they get the word from God and they speak things that are going to occur. Right? You're going to notice something different in this. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. 
that is the extent of the word. What did God say? What is God's message through the prophet to Ahab and Jehoshaphat? Did anybody hear it? Let me read it again. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, They have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. Is there a word? Is there a word of God in there somewhere? Is there a thus says the Lord? Do you notice that it is, it is strikingly missing? There is no message from God to Jehoshaphat and to Ahab. There is no message. What you have with Micaiah is a description of what he saw. There is no repeating the words of God to the person he was sent to, which is what most prophets are and what most of the cases we've looked at, but not here. It's a description. So I, I, I didn't write this in your outline. If you want to write this down, you can, but a prophecy can be what God says or what God shows. A prophecy can be what God says which was the case of the ones we've looked at before, or what God shows. God showed the prophet what was going to happen, what was future, on the battlefield. And all he did was describe what he saw and what God said about what he saw. There's no word. And that can be a prophecy. A prophecy may be a prophet seeing something happening in the future and describing it. This, of course, fits in with what John did in the book of Revelation. He described what he saw. He does not necessarily speak a word, except in the first couple of chapters where we had the words of the churches. But he described what he saw. That is just as prophetic as what we have seen before. It conveyed a message, didn't it? Now look at this, verse 18. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? He knew exactly what that meant. He's saying, we're going to lose the battle and I'm going to die. He knew it. He got the interpretation right away. Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. Alright, are you ready for the word of the Lord now? Get ready, here it comes. He's described this as the word of the Lord. I saw... Not I heard. I saw the Lord sitting on his right, on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way. So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. He has given him a complete description of what has happened in heaven after he gave him a description of the battlefield. And the only word he really has for him is right here. The Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, 
before we go on from this, I don't think I wrote this down in your, your outline, but Ramoth Gilead. He said, who will persuade Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead? Who is waiting at Ramoth Gilead for the king of King Ahab? No one. There's no battle lined up. The other two, we saw there was a battle lined up. The king of Syria came out with his forces. He went out and met them. But there's no forces gathering at Ramoth Gilead. Israel is gathering their forces and going out to it. Then Syria will respond by gathering their forces and coming out to meet them. But they're not meeting a force that's already there. So why does God say, who will persuade them for this battle at Ramoth Gilead when there's no force waiting there for them? The process of this began before this day when this when the lion spirit spoke to Ahab and said, you should take Ramoth Gilead. And he had this inspired idea, we should go to Ramoth Gilead and take it. But there's no inspiration. It is strictly from the pit of hell. It is strictly from Satan's kingdom. His kingdom's not in hell, but you know, we use that phrase sometimes. They're the one who sowed the thought. And he picked up on it. And Jehoshaphat does not know that this is a bad idea. It does not come from God. Now, I wrote some scriptures in there for you. If you haven't been around here, we're not going to go over them here today. But the, the term host of heaven that is used here is never a term that is used in a good way. It is always used in a bad way. And I gave you some verses of scripture. You can go out there and, ch- and check it out. Because some people want to say he's calling those things that are you know, it's a good host. The host of heaven may be good and bad made up. It may not be all bad. It may be good and bad made up. But it's a host. And it never refers to um, necessarily an all-righteous crowd. The word here in verse 21, then a spirit in the Hebrew. I don't, I don't, can't dig into the Hebrew like I can the Greek. But I have this on, on some authority. That Hebrew here, in the, for the phrase that's rendered a spirit, came forward, reads literally... The well-known spirit. The well-known spirit. Some folks are seeing this particular spirit that stood up as this, as Satan. Satan himself is the one of the ones in the host of heaven that came up with this, this idea. Could be. I don't know. But I just thought I'd throw that out to you and let you know. Verse 24. Now Zedekiah, the son of Tanana, uh, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you. See, they still think they're prophesying by the same spirit that Micaiah is. They're not trying to say we're prophesying by Baal or Asherah or any other idolatrous force. They're saying that they're representatives of God. And they thoroughly believe that what they have is from God. And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, thus says the king, put his, this fellow in prison and feed him with bread and affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. Notice it says, take him, take Micaiah and return him. That's verse 26. And return him. How do you return someone someplace unless they came from there? That's why you say he was already in prison, already in jail, already in prison for this. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Take heed, all you people. That's pretty bold, isn't it? 
He's telling them, if you come back alive, I am not a prophet of God. That's what he's saying. If it doesn't come about, I am not a prophet of God. He's putting himself in a line. That's how sure he is of what he saw. This is not his first rodeo. He has been doing this for a while. This is a very experienced prophet. It amazes me, though this is 13 years after after Elijah, that Elijah does not know about him 13 years ago. Because this guy's on the map. So either he didn't know about him, didn't care to know about him, I don't know what it was, but or maybe Micaiah hadn't quite come on the scene as, as uh, visibly yet. But he sure is on the scene now. Now they have right now in front of them, they have the false word, they have the true word. They have the false word by the false prophets. They have the true word by the true prophet. They have 400 false prophets giving the same word. They have one true prophet giving this same, this, this one word. One, 400. Which one are you out to believe? Who are you going to believe? I like that answer. You like milk ways? Yeah. Wait a minute. That's true. Okay, it's rich. I thought it was a dark chocolate, dark chocolate one. I'm not a fan of dark chocolate. I was going to ask you if you like dark chocolate before I gave that to you. Because if it was me, <laughs> I don't like dark chocolate. I like I like regular, regular milk chocolate. That's the that's the good stuff. Good answer. That's right. You got to go with the one with the one. But that's not where most of us go. We go with we go with the ones with, with multiples. Even with all the things that are going on in this famous year 2020. How many times have people gone with what most people are saying? Even though a lot of it's stupid. Take all the chairs out of the courtyard so the only people can stand by the table instead of sit. Well, apparently they got tired of being called stupid on that and so they tied up all the tables. So now you can't stand by the tables. Yes, they did that. There's a lot of stupid things being done because a bunch of people are saying to do it. And um, don't don't be doing that. So this, you know, more so even this year, you can feel that pressure because a mass number of people are saying to do certain things and only a few are saying not to. And they're scattered about. If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Now, let's go on here. How many have ever wondered, why did Jehoshaphat even ask for God's counsel? And why even bother? If you're not going to do it, if you're not going to listen to it, why in the world do you even, why even ask God? I, I, I don't understand why he does this. If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. Well, some believers, they can get so hardened in our heart that they that these believers will choose what they want to believe and act upon that. We can get so hard in our heart, I believe the message that I want to believe, not the one that has the evidence for being true. This is what Ahab did, and this is what Jehoshaphat did. Believe the wrong thing. All right, we got to move on through here. 
if I gave you a reference of scripture there, Romans 9, 22, 24, this talks about two type, different types of vessels. I'm not going to read it right now. We've got we to move on through. But you can read it on your, on your own. There are two different kinds of res- vessels. One is a vessel of wrath. One is a vessel of mercy. Paul describes that. Ahab is a vessel of wrath. He made himself that way. Jehoshaphat is a vessel of mercy. He made himself that way. Even though they are both going to do something stupid, one is a vessel of wrath and wrath will fall upon him. One is a vessel of mercy. Be a vessel of, a vessel of mercy. Do the things that are necessary for that. We don't have time to get into that right now. Go on to verse 29. Read. Now remember, our prophetic word tells what is coming, but leaves out the details of what you're supposed to do. See, if God told us how to respond when he gave the prophetic word, then what would happen is I would be responding in obedience. God does not want a response of obedience when we are looking at a prophetic word. He wants obedience to his written word. He wants faith in the prophetic word. There's a difference. Now, faith certainly can be called obedience, but obedience is to do what God said to do. But in the prophecies, there's nothing that God says to do very often. So we have to come up with an action of faith. And when we saw some of the other ones, when they had the action of faith, that's when God began to move. He wants an action of faith. So let's take a look at what they're going to do here in verse 29. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. How, how many kings went? How many kings went? Israel. How many kings went? I can't hear you. Come on, be bold. Two! That's it, yeah. <laughs> That's what we want. Alright, I got some, I got some, some prizes up. Which one, which one you like better? With three musketeers? <laughs> I would have got right to them if you didn't interfere. <laughs> You wanted the socks. <laughs> oh, man. So two kings go up. That means that two kings believed the 400. Are you going to go into battle that you believe you're going to, that, that's going to result in disaster? So Jehoshaphat, this man who acted in such faith in the, in the other incident, acts in complete unbelief here. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat. Now that was first. That was Second uh, Chronicles. Is it Second uh, First Chronicles? Out of my head right now. I think it's Second Chronicles chapter twenty that we were in at. I didn't tell you this, but First Kings chapter twenty-two has a chapter in another book that is almost identical. That is this chapter right here is almost word for word. Second Chronicles 18. The same account and it's told the, the actual account is told word for word which means they both got it from the same place. This is one of those events that is told exactly the same in both Chronicles and Kings. Think that has some importance? All right. 
we have acted in unbelief. Now we're going to act stupid. So both kings are going up to Ramoth Gilead, and the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. All right, the word of prophecy was this. The king that was head of the army is going to die. So Ahab says, all right, we're going to, we're going to go against this word, and I'm not going to put on my kingly robes so they can't find me and kill me. But you put on your king robes. And Jehoshaphat says, okay. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a plan. Let's do it. <laughs> Are you kidding me? How stupid can we be? So we first we act in unbelief, now we act stupid. This is a king acting stupid. So they're going to battle. Only Jehoshaphat's dressed in there. Now I want to ask you this, this question. I put this as a blank in there for you. If God has given us his declaration, why are we still in negotiations? If God has declared through his prophets or he has declared through different ones, this is what I'm going to do. This is my will. Why are we still negotiating with him? Well, God, can you bring this about instead? Well, how about if we do it this way? Will you be in favor of this if we go this direction? And we're in negotiation. Trying to negotiate with God. God said, this is how it's going to be. You don't negotiate with a prophetic word. God declares it. That's how it's going to be. Now, Jehoshaphat is probably doing this because first off, he gave his commitment before he asked God. And he feels pressure because of his commitment. But if you're doing what you want to do or feel pressure to do, it just demonstrates your own foolishness. Don't do it. Wise up and say, I know I said I would do that. I'm not going to. The word of the Lord came. He said, don't do it. I'm not going to do it. Now, I put this question. I think I put this question in your outline. Why is Ahab in this battle? He's in this battle because he wants something. He wants to take back a town, city, that he felt belongs to him. He wants it for his kingdom. He wants it for him. He wants it, 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 it makes their nation more protected. He wants something for himself. But why is Jehoshaphat in this battle? Maybe he's feeling pressure. I gave my word. I'm trying to keep peace. I've been trying to keep peace with this king. I don't want to keep having wars with him. Maybe he's trying not to look foolish. Whatever it is, that's why he's in the battle. The reason that he should be in the battle is because God said to. The reason he should not be in this battle is because God said, don't be in this battle. This battle is not going to work out well. And they, uh, they went and they did it anyway. Now the king of Syria commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. That sounds odd. I went back through all the history stuff I could find out because I wanted to find out this one question. Remember Hazael is the one who's supposed to be anointed by Elijah to be king over Syria? And he's supposed to take out the house of Ahab and the ones that Hazael misses, Jehu will get. And the ones that Jehu misses, Elisha would get. Remember that? So he's the first first line. So I'm thinking, I wonder if Hazael has taken over here. 
and, and he knows I just need to go after this, this house. But everything I could find on this seems to indicate that is not the case. There are, there's a Ben-Hadad who's the king, and it seems to be, most history accounts have it, Ben-Hadad the first and Ben-Hadad the second, because his, his uh, lifespan encompasses a very, very large period of time, and they think it makes more sense for there to be two Ben-Hadads with the same name. And then Hazael comes in between, and then you have another Ben-Hadad that comes after that. Hazael actually named his son that, but he named it for different purposes, and I don't have time to get into, into that here today. But there is a different purpose. He didn't name it after the, the king that he took the place of, because actually Hazael kills Ben-Hadad, this Ben-Hadad. He kills him. But uh, another story. Fun one, but we don't have time for that. Trying to stay on this. Fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. It seems like he has an assignment. Take out the king of Israel. And as soon as he takes out the king of Israel, this battle disperses. And so that's what they do. So it was when a captain of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. He's got kingly robes on. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. They didn't go after him anymore. So he cried out. I guess he cried out, Oh God, help me. <laughs> if he was in the New Testament, Oh Jesus. But he called out something. I'm not the king. I'm not Ahab. <laughs> and he showed him, Oh wait, you're not the, you're not the one we're supposed to get. Alright, go ahead. That doesn't make sense to me. You are in a fight. You have an opportunity to take out a king. And because he says, I'm not king Ahab, oh, alright. This king is trying to kill people in the battle. And you have an opportunity to kill him. And you say, oh, we're not going to, we're just going to let you go. That just doesn't make any sense. But then it says, later on, you can read the rest of the chapter, someone, just random person, just pulls his bow back and then just fires it. And it just happens to go sailing through the air and hits Ahab. And it mortally wounds him. And he says, take me out of the battle. So they go out of the battle, and he lays there in the chariot, and he dies. You can read the rest of the story there, but we're, we're short on time. We got, a, we got more stuff to cover. You can read the rest of that on your own. So Ahab dies. And I, I apparently was made aware that last week I completely left off a whole section. So Miss Alpha came out to me afterwards and said, what are the answers? So I put that whole thing back in, but I gave you an extra line. All right? So God sends his prophets to, I said, I said last time it was three, but we're adding a fourth group here. Maybe next week we add a fifth. I don't know. But we're adding four groups here. First group that God will send his prophets to, those who don't know him, and the message is to repent. God is going to send his prophets to those who don't know him to repent. That is the message of a prophet to someone who does not know God. Repent. That is their message. That's it. God will send his prophets to people who reject him. They know about him, but they said, I'm not going to believe he will send his prophets to them to judgment. Announcing judgment. This is what's coming. You've rejected me. Judgment is coming. Third one. Those in disobedience to correct People that are disobeying what they know to do, God's going to send his prophets to correct them. And the fourth one, those in obedience 
to prosper. Those people that are in obedience to the things of God, God will send his prophets with a message that it will cause them to prosper if they have faith with it and believe it. Does Jehoshaphat prosper in this chapter? No. He does not. So, where is Jehoshaphat in these four areas? I put him down as number three. He is disobedient, and this is a prophecy that is sent to correct him. But, Ahab is not in the same place Jehoshaphat is. Ahab is in place number two. He has rejected God. And for him, it is judgment. The same word that comes, it is correction for one, it is judgment for the other. Now, God will send his prophets prophetic words to only some or a few in a sphere of ministry in an area so it may take some looking for you to find what is God saying God is not going to send it to 400 people the same word so that 400 people can repeat it to the same group of people that's not how he does it so you are going to have constantly in the things of God the word of a prophet against the words of of many false prophets. And you are going to have many false prophets pollute what you're hearing so that you don't get to the words of the one. Maybe two. Now now we, we have the ability to go beyond our area. So even though God may send a prophet in the area that say Pittsburgh, we can still hear it over here. But that was a prophet that was sent to that area. And he has that word. It may agree with somebody who, was, who came out of Tulsa or came out of Houston or came out of wherever. But you see, God does not need to send the same message to multiple prophets in a certain area. I will challenge you. You find that in Scripture where God sent the same message to multiple people in the same area. He doesn't do it. It's one of those things, one of those qualifications of true prophets that doesn't, uh, doesn't really stand out to a whole lot of people. But God's ministers, God's prophets in this area, you're going to find them standing by themselves. And very often think they are by themselves, like Elijah did. The guy, I'm the only one who's bringing this message. But here in this, this particular account, the word was sent. It was up to them to obey. It was up to them to figure out what to do to have obedience, or not obedience, but to have actions of faith. And Jehoshaphat, though, in the 20th chapter in Chronicles, he is phenomenally great. But in this one, he is not. He has actions of unbelief. And this is a man who sought after God. It is the only the fact that he is a vessel of mercy that spares his life, or he would have died. Ahab was a vessel of wrath. And God even said, I am coming to take you out. Now, we didn't get into all the other fun parts of this story. We didn't get to what happened up in heaven. How did these people all hear the same word? How did the word come to them? There are so many things that we can get into with that. But we didn't have time. Because it's, it's past the, the point of me being good.
we need to get you, get you rolling. Now, a lot of that, folks, is I don't want to give you too much that uh, that you don't don't absorb it all, but um, and you just 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 wear it out. But um, oh, I tell you, I could go on this chapter for at least another hour. Uh, I don't know if we're going to get into it any more of it next week or not. But this chapter is just one of those chapters, boy, you can have some fun with, and uh, and to learn some things. And cause how many people have a hard time with the host of heaven up in heaven and getting instructions from God? Anybody have a hard? Do you have a hard time with that? You're, you're the only one. You and I will talk later. Oh, Max, all right. You guys, we'll, we'll have a meeting. Nobody else. <laughs> how is it that these evil forces can be up in heaven and get an assignment from God? How does that happen? Yep. Well, more people are curious. We would get into it next week, maybe. <laughs> would y'all stand up with me? <laughs> this this chapter throws people's doctrines. I'll tell you, it just messes with them. But uh, there's nothing that has to mess with your doctrine. There's nothing that'll that'll be a problem. Everything that happens in this chapter is very consistent with everything that God does. It's just that uh, we have got some wrong ideas of what's what's going on. Show of hands. How many people have a better idea of a true prophet from a false prophet? All right, keep that idea because there's prophets all over the place. They all got a message. It is my job to discern the right ones from the wrong ones. That's not God's job. It is my job. I am to take the tools that he gave me. I am to take the things that he supplied me with, the teaching he supplied me with, the things from his word, and I am supposed to determine who is right and who is wrong. Once I do that, more often than not, the words of a prophet are going to rub you the wrong way. First off, it's not going to be what you expect. It's going to hit you out of left field a lot of times. And that's why they're sometimes hard to receive. And we showed you why that was in the Word. But if you get a word from God given to a prophet, understand this, something is on the way, he's announcing it, and you better get on the right side. Because if you get on the wrong side, whatever the punishment was in that prophecy is coming down on you. Unless as Jehoshaphat, you get to be a vessel of mercy and you get spared. You get on the wrong side of prophecy. Whatever is said to happen to the person in the, who's in the wrong, on the wrong side in the prophecy, that will come upon you. But if you get on the right side, whatever the blessing is, that will come upon you too. I'd rather be on the right side. But I've got to first off figure out what it is. And then I gotta act in a way that I'm in faith. Being neutral and just saying, well, I'm just gonna sit and wait and see what happens. <laughs> uh uh-uh. uh. That is not gonna work here, folks. You need to know what has God said. You need to put some faith in it and get yourself on that side. I could show you that from a number of different places, but uh, as long as you all are enjoying this, I will go into it some more. But you gotta let me know. Because I, I sometimes look at this and I say, man, I can just lose people with this. I love this. I am having so much fun spending time going through so many prophetic words and looking at them from a new light. Oh, man, this is, this is so awesome. But uh, I don't want to lose you all. So you let me know. if you. Uh, there's, there's plenty more. We could go until the end of January and not scratch all the notes that I've got. Barely even touch them. But I'm not saying we're going to do that. I'm just saying we could that there is so much in the word of God on the ministry of prophet and we need to get them in our lives because for the most part we have let the ministry of the prophet be weird us out and be looked upon as they're just strange people 
saying strange things and I don't need them. And apparently you do. Because in the Word of God, it said, first of all, there are, God has put in the church, first of all, apostles. Second, man, if the prophets are second, don't you think they have some importance in our life? Notice what he says. First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. After that, doesn't even say third. After that. <laughs> Folks, we're missing out on some important stuff. And how is it that Jehoshaphat, the word he got from God, how is it that we prosper? Believe in his prophets. Believe in his prophets. Believe in the Lord, you shall be established. Believe in his prophets, and you shall prosper. Most of us have been established. Let's get into the place where we're prospering, where the things we're doing are successful. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ministry of a prophet. I thank you that sometimes they may speak some things that rub us the wrong way. We may not like what they say. We may not like how they say it. The Father, it's a necessary ministry. And when we determine that a prophet has been sent by you and has a word that you gave him, we need to have actions of faith on that word if we're going to come into the prosperity that word has associated with it. I thank you for it. Thank you that your words have not fallen void on our ears. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.